What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Dave, and welcome back to the Mike and Dave Podcast for episode 27. It's a pretty exciting time in sports right now. Baseball season's back up and running. It's the NBA playoffs, and of course, in just a couple weeks, it's going to be the NFL draft, which you already know Mike and I are very excited for, and that's going to be the main focus of this episode. But before we get into that, we've got off the top, Mike, what do we got for this week? Well, what's up, everybody? This is Mike. Yeah, welcome back, returning listeners, and welcome, new listeners. We love you too. But yes, if you've been keeping track or if you're new to this, it is my turn to bring the prompt for off the top. So on episode 25, we put Joel Embiid on the hot seat for whining about not being the clear-cut MVP or like, you know, saying, you know, what else do I have to do to win MVP? And that got me thinking because every year there is like a, oh, well, who's it going to be between these three guys? And they narrow it down and then, you know, usually, at least in the NBA, one scores more and one like has more well-rounded stats and, you know, some people talk about team record. So Dave, I wanted you to settle the debate for us once and for all, no pressure. What what do you think should be like the most important things that we look for in the MVP? How do we narrow that down? All right, well, you came to the right person, first of all, to answer this this existential question, this age-old question. I think my first, um, the first thing that I go to is how well did your team do on the court with you versus without you. So that plus minus, and then all like the um, advanced stats that are related to that. Because I think that really shows just how valuable you are to your team. Um, I think clutch scoring is a major thing. Um, You know, guys like Russell Westbrook in the past have won MVP and sure, like he averaged a triple double, which was an amazing feat. Don't get me wrong, but it was mostly empty calories and to me, that doesn't make you the most valuable. It just means, sure, you're the most valuable player on your team, but like, it didn't really matter. So I think it does, it should be a combination of, um, your team should be obviously competitive. You should be in the playoffs. I don't think you have to be a favorite in the playoffs, but you should be good enough. And even if your team isn't that great, you should be able to elevate that roster to maybe not a contender, but at least a hopeful. Um, you should make a huge impact while you're on the court versus what happens while you're off the court. And then I think um, being able to come through in the big moments, um, whether that's in the playoffs, you know, fourth quarters, uh, you know, game when the game's on the line, you play your best and you elevate your teammates. So that's the long and short of it. But I mean, you can get into stats. I just... I feel like over the course of the season, oh, actually, I should say one more thing. Availability is a huge thing for me. I think one thing that um, Embiid is, like, I guess, kind of has an argument for is that he's actually finally been healthy the past couple of years and has shown how good he can be when he's actually on the court. Um, I know there was a there was some back and forth about uh, who's winning what awards, and for for one uh, example, Bam Adebayo 
was not included in the top three of the Defensive Player of the Year nominations. And I think that's fair just because he didn't play that many games. I think he played like 50-something games out of 82. In my mind, that's just not enough games because you were offering your team like exactly zero in terms of, you know, everything, all stats, all impact on, on the game while you're out. And so if you take all that as a net zero, then it's just, you know, you're not going to be able to make that kind of impact the other players who are on the court for 70 something or 80 something of the games. So I think availability is another big factor too. All right, rock on. So I didn't disagree with anything that you said, though. I think the thing that I felt the most was how does your team do with you versus without you? And I look at like Kevin Durant on the Warriors and I'm just picking him as an example. If your team is already just going to ball out in your absence anyway, then it's hard for me to look at you and go, yes, you are no, no player in the NBA is giving his team more value than you are. Right. Like, Honestly, if you drop 30 with like one or two or three other all-stars on your team, it's like, yeah, you were probably freed up to do so because attention is like defensive attention is placed in other areas. Whereas if you look at like Jokic this year, like context matters. He's playing without Jamal Murray all season. He's the guy. And, you know, that's where the defensive attention is. Um, And just looking at like win shares and everything, who contributes the most to winning. But yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying, especially with availability as well. Like the, I mean, you said it, if you're not playing, your team's not getting value. So that's not the most valuable, you know? So part of why I wanted to bring this up was because we put Embiid on the hot seat on episode 25, but the other half was soon the NBA will be announcing its MVP for this season. I think it's going to be Jokic. I think we said that on episode 25 as well, but I wanted to at least have you talk about like what that should at least should mean before that happens. For sure. And I think Jokic does deserve it. Um, I think he qualifies in all of those categories that I was talking about. Not that I was thinking about him while I was saying those things. It just happens to be that way where he was available for, uh, I don't know if it was every game, but almost every game. Actually, I do know that he missed the last game of the season because my opponent in fantasy basketball had him. He didn't play, and that's probably the reason that I ended up winning. So uh, shout out to Jokic. Shout out to Michael Malone for, for sitting him in the last game of the season. But other than that, Jokic on the court versus off the court, the numbers were astronomical, um, well-rounded, you know, clutch scoring, coming through when it matters most. You know, I, I believe that Jokic has the talent um, and, of course, elevating his teammates. You know, I think I mentioned on episode 25 that he kind of has a bunch of glorified role players along, you know, alongside him. I think Michael Porter Jr. can be a star uh, and started kind of showing signs that he would be uh, last season. But of course, he wasn't available. And Jamal Murray, we know how, how good he is, but he wasn't available either. So I just think Jokic checks all those boxes. And sure, it was close. I mean, I, I don't want to 
come across and say like Embiid doesn't deserve it. I think he he does deserve it, but Jokic deserves it more. And you know what? <laughs> if you're going to cry about it, then just do better next time, you know? <laughs> While I don't personally love Embiid, I love his game, at least like I love his game when he like has his mind set on being that guy. I was thankful for this when the Sixers played the Hawks uh, in the playoffs last year. But if you watch that series, Capella, who I love and is a great defensive big, could not guard Embiid. He doesn't have the size and like mobility like paired with it. And these aren't digs against Capella. This is like in praise of like how dominant Embiid can be. And if Embiid were to like get the ball in the post, like put his back to the basket, back down and try and score in the post on virtually every possession, he probably could have. But often he settles for these like fall away elbow jumpers, these like weird dribble pull-ups that he just you know, relative to his skill set, he doesn't have any business taking cuz he that's not where he's best. But what we've seen out of him this year is that he is doing his thing like where he's most effective way more often. And that comes with being healthy, I think. But like you said, Jokic is just better this year and last year. But the other thing that you said that I want to bring more attention to, darn it, is, yeah, you won uh, fantasy basketball this year. And you won fantasy football too, right? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yes, I did. So... We stay winning in fantasy sports here on the Mike and Dave podcast. And this year, by that, I mean Dave stays winning and I just kind of hang out and then win my consolation ladder or consolation brackets. I mean, maybe next year will be different, but I'm going to make y'all a guarantee right now. In fantasy football and fantasy basketball next year, one of us will win both of those leagues aka me <laughs> nah i i think um it was actually a, a crazy comeback in fantasy basketball i really had no business winning uh the other guy's team was way better than mine but i managed the hell out of that team uh i was definitely trying extremely hard so you know and I got, you know, I got rewarded for that. Uh, if he had just paid a little more attention and done a few more things, and I think he would have pulled it out, and rightfully so. But uh, I did what I needed to do. Came out with a dub. That's fantasy basketball, fantasy football. And I do have a fantasy baseball team as well. Uh, early signs are promising. Absolutely smoked my opponent last week. And... uh you know, I, I think my roster is pretty stacked, so maybe I'll go for the three Pete three and three. You know how it, uh, you know how it goes, but uh, yeah, I appreciate the shout out, Mike. I'm not one to toot my own horn, but you know, at the same time, I'm dominant. I was about to say, since when? <laughs> Come at me! But enough about my fantasy victories for now. I'm sure I'll talk about that at a, at a later time as well. But it's time to get to our next segment where Mike and I will be doing a mock draft. So make sure to stick around for that. All right, everyone. It's time for our first ever 
mock draft uh, on this podcast. And actually, I think just in general, to be honest, uh, we decided to go ahead and do this format uh, to as our like NFL draft preview. So the, the way that this is going to work is Mike's going to have the first pick and then I'm going to have the second pick. And then we're going to go, we're going to alternate all the way through until pick number 32. Um, so we're just going to do the first round and we're going to approach it as if we are the GM for each team. So for the first pick, it's like Mike is the general manager for the Jaguars. And then for the second pick, I'm the general manager for the Lions, et cetera, et cetera. Just as a note, we have not discussed with each other who we would pick at any of these selections, no trades. Um, it's just going to be purely who we value, who we think would be a good fit for that particular team. And we're just going to alternate back and forth and see how it all shakes out. So Mike, I guess you're on the clock. All right. So to clarify one thing, Dave said no trades. That just means we're not going to trade between each other, but all the trades that have already happened to put the picks in the hands like that they're currently in, those are existing. So for example, like the Lions will have the second and 32nd pick. And yeah, we'll be acting as GMs, which means a lot of these teams just improved at GM. Although the way I've performed in fantasy this year, who freaking knows? I don't, I don't know, man. I'll give it my best shot. But yeah, I'm on the clock with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So in lieu of the player that I think would be the best available, Look, last year, the Jags had the number one overall pick. They used that to get Trevor Lawrence. And to me, it seems like a no-brainer. The next step should be protect that man. So I'm getting Akeem Ikwanu, offensive lineman from NC State. Now, I do think this is arguably the best offensive lineman in this draft. He could, you know, assuming they are able to convince him to stay in Jacksonville. Good luck right now. But this could be a offensive line staple for the next 10, 15 years for that franchise. A franchise that really needs some stability. And if they're to keep Trevor Lawrence happy as a franchise quarterback, this just seems like the right pairing. Uh, protect him. This is what we talked about the Bengals needing to do. And I mean, their offensive line did better. But the struggle that we saw with Joe Burrow's first year stemmed from a lack of production on in their offensive line. We saw that happen with Jacksonville and Jacksonville drafted um, edge rushers in two of the last three years in the first round. So right now, instead of focusing there, I'm focusing my attention on their offensive line. And in terms of like adding stability to that offensive line, they will be able to like put him next to cam Robinson. And they did just, uh, bring in Brandon Scherf. So that's like three solid members of that offensive line right there that they would have going forward. For sure. And, you know, I like that. I think it makes sense. And it means that I get to pick up Aiden Hutchinson, your guy out of Michigan, for the Detroit Lions at number two. I mean, I think the Lions at this point are looking for uh, culture fits as much as anything else. And when you can get a guy like Hutchinson, who's going to fit in there as well as arguably the best player in the draft, I think they would be over the moon if Hutchinson was available to them uh, with the, with the second pick in the draft. So that's what I'm going to go with. Definitely like that pick. That's who I had best available. So 
with the third overall pick, when you're a team as trashy as the Texans, you got to go best available. And there are a couple guys that I could have plugged in here, but I'm looking for that combination of like skill and upside. And when, when I think about that, I'm thinking about Trayvon Walker out of UGA. I think he has the size and motor to come in and produce right away, but he also has the versatility and mindset to offer a lot to that like defense in years to come. I think Lovey Smith as their new coach has the the know-how to plug him into different situations, utilize him in a variety of ways and really get the most out of that talent using him as a, uh, primarily as an edge rusher. Um, but I think that he would be like the guy that they should really target here. All right, I'm going to keep the run on edge rushers going with three in a row. New York Jets, they need help in a lot of different areas, as including on that defensive line. So I'm going to go ahead and pick up Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon, defensive end. He's a combination of, you know, skill and upside. I think, you know, there have definitely been questions about, um, his motor and different things like that. I think he is a very physically gifted prospect and a guy who would improve their line right away and something to build off of. And, you know, the, the jets, they spent a lot of draft capital on the offense last year. The defense was absolutely atrocious. Um, this past season. And so I think they're going to go with a defender uh, for sure. And Thibodeau's arguably with, with maybe a couple of other prospects, the best one available. So I'm going to go with Thibodeau. Staying in New York. Let's focus on the giants for a second, man. How long has that offensive line been trash? Like the phrase wet paper bag comes to mind. So for the second time in three picks from me, I'm going offensive line and I'm going Evan Neal out of Alabama. I don't know if the Giants are sold on Daniel Jones or not. If they are, get him some protection. If they're not, get the new guy some protection. Get yourself an offensive line, because elsewhere you have no idea what you're doing, and you need stability, you need protection. We've seen Saquon Barkley's career go to waste. He was just getting, He's just been getting pummeled his whole career. He has no line to run behind. Your quarterback has no time to do anything. Get your guys some protection with Evan Neal. That He's got to be it. Yeah, I definitely like Evan Neal a lot. And I guess I was maybe hoping he was going to fall to the Falcons. <laughs> but that's not going to happen. And it's interesting. You get, you get a pick for the Giants twice. Uh, but in between those two picks, I'm picking for the Panthers. And this is where... <sighs> I could take a quarterback. I could also, there are a few other prospects that um, could really help out. I mean, you look at their receiver room. They could add to that. Uh, Robbie Anderson had a really poor year last year. You could get somebody to pair with DJ Moore. Um, obviously, there are a lot of receivers. Uh, both top corners are still here. But I think I'm going to have to go with Malik Willis. Uh, with this one, I think the Sam Darnold, the ship has almost sailed at this point for him. I think he can maybe just be a backup at this point. And I know the, the Panthers have come out and said, oh yeah, Sam Darnold's our starter. I mean, maybe right the second he's your starter, <laughs> but as soon as Malik Willis is available, they might take him. To be honest, I think in the actual draft, they're going to move down because they don't have any picks 
um, on the second day of the draft at this point. So I would not be surprised if they move down. They'll still be able to get a quarterback and then they'll pick up some additional selections because they need them. But in this case, with no trades, I'm going to stick with uh, them drafting a quarterback here with Malik Willis, who is, I think, by far the most talented quarterback in the draft. Maybe not exactly super ready. Um, and so maybe he would, you know, Sam Darnold might start and then they'd give the the reins to Malik Willis a little, little later on in the season. But in terms of arm talent, um, mobility, this guy can make every throw. He can uh, get outside of the pocket, you know, deep shots. I think the the biggest adjustment he's going to have to make is uh, processing speed. And, you know, one one big thing that I don't think gets talked about enough is the fact that at Liberty, he wasn't really playing with a whole lot of NFL caliber players on, on offense. The Panthers... Like I said, they don't have a ton, but you know DJ Moore is by far the most talented guy that who he would have played with so far. I think that it makes a lot of sense for the Panthers to go ahead and pick him up because um, he has by far the most upside of any quarterback in the draft this year. So just two things I want to say, and I'll keep short. Malik Willis, to me, has got to be the most interesting player in this draft. I can see him going second overall. I can see him going second round. It's a, It's a real toss-up, but he's an interesting dynamic player with a lot of potential for sure. And about Sam Darnold. Yeah. Deshaun Watson is great, but the teams that were really, really like going for it, trying to lure him to their city. Those are the teams that are shouting. We don't really believe in our quarterback. (laughs) If they were like sold on Sam Darnold, they wouldn't have pressed so hard for Deshaun Watson. Let's call it what it is. Number seven. Back to the Giants. I thought about doubling down on offensive line because their offensive line is so shitty, but I'm not going to do that. It's New York, the Big Apple, the media capital, and with a name like Sauce Gardner. Come on. Like, clear in a way, the best corner in college football. Dude was unreal. Um, Dudes were not catching balls against him. Like, whether that's regular season or like once we stepped into that postseason, this guy is ready to produce and the giants need production everywhere, man. Like if you're the giants, you're not going to make a pick and be like, Oh, why'd you pick that position? You already got it locked up. Get yourself a good lockdown corner and don't panic. If it doesn't work out right away. I mean, you look at the Falcons coming up, uh, when they drafted AJ Terrell, that didn't look good right away, but AJ Terrell was quietly one of the best corners in football last year. Go ahead and grab Sauce now because you're not going to get a better cornerback prospect anytime soon. This is going to be the guy. You have two picks in the top seven. Go ahead and grab a safe offensive lineman and then follow it up with a dynamic corner. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Gardner for sure. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't think he should drop out of the top 10 uh, he's just too talented of a prospect. Now on to our hometown Atlanta Falcons. I'm looking at two positions here. I'm looking at receiver and I'm looking at defensive line. Uh, because right now our receiver room is legitimately scary and not because, and not in a good way, <laughs> like scary, like uh, our, are we going to run the ball 45 times a game? 
is Cordero Patterson going to play wide receiver full time? Like what's going on? Um, and no, you know, no shade meant on Olamide Zacchaeus, but like, come on, bro. Uh, yeah, I, I think receiver is a big need and I've been shouting this from the rooftops for, I don't even know how long now, uh, we need to pressure the quarterback and right now I'm torn between my guy, Jermaine Johnson out of Florida state because he's the best of the edge rushers that are left or a receiver. And the two guys I'm looking at are Drake London and Garrett Wilson. And to be honest with you, I could really go either way with this one. I've been torn because I think it's a little high for Jermaine Johnson. Uh, I think he is a very good player. Uh, he has a really high motor. He works really hard on a bad Florida State team. He he still managed to stand out without any other major threats on that line, which would be the position that he would be getting into with the Falcons. So it's not like you know he he would be out of place there uh, or I think probably for value one of the receivers makes more sense but you know what I've got to stick to my guns I got to go with Jermaine Johnson the second out of Florida State we need pass rush desperately and the depth at receiver is good enough so that maybe in the second round we'll be able to to snag one of these other uh, receiver prospects if they if they manage to fall because there are a lot of good receivers in this draft. I don't know how long we've been saying that Falcons need edge rushers. Long enough that by now, you'd think that just like through seven degrees of separation theory, like our word would have reached a Falcons GM by now. Dog. Like, okay, yeah. So I'm on board with your pick, by all means. Especially because I also agree with what you're saying about like finding depth at receiver. Okay, now it's the Seahawks. How do we begin the post-Russell Wilson era? And you know, I was hoping Malik Willis would fall here. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and apply the same logic that I was kind of talking about with uh, with the Giants at five. You can figure out your quarterback situation. Hey, there's one of my old catchphrases, quarterback situation. Do you want to like figure it out between Geno Smith and Drew Locke? I, I'm not sold for or against Drew Locke. Take a season, figure it out. Um, don't hit the panic button and and reach for one of these quarterbacks not named Malik Willis. If I'm being honest, and instead, bulk up that offensive line, prepare for when when the quarterback gets there if he's not there already, and go ahead and take the best remaining offensive lineman, which has to be Charles Cross out of Mississippi State. As you know, I'm a big supporter of offensive linemen going high in drafts because they add so much value to your team. Very underappreciated players in football, but you you feel their absence when they are not producing, when they're just not up to snuff. And for the Seahawks, especially now because like in Russell Wilson's absence, they're not going to be expected to perform this year, next year. Go ahead and do the like, go ahead and make the not-so-sexy pick. Take the offensive line. Be smart here. Yeah, Russell Wilson had to do with a less-than-ideal offensive line for quite some time. I think it makes sense to go ahead and start investing in the trenches because, you know, as we were 
as we've been saying for a little while now, the Seahawks are probably going to go through a little bit of a rebuilding phase. Now, I didn't realize this uh, until now, but you picked for both, or you picked for the Giants for both of their top 10 picks. I get to pick for the Jets for both of their top 10 picks. So at number four, I went with Kayvon Thibodeau. And at number 10, I'm also, I'm going to stick with the defense, but I'm going to go in the secondary this time. And it's between Kyle Hamilton and Derek Stingley. Uh, Kyle Hamilton could kind of just replace that production that Jamal Adams used to have for them um, at safety. A guy who's able to come down in the box um, and stack up against the run, but also can can cover. Um, he can blitz. He can do all, all sorts of things. You know, he didn't have the best workouts and everything, but you look at the tape, he is uh, very impressive and definitely tempting. Stingley, uh, I think he's one of the most boomer bust prospects in the entire draft. If he if he booms, then he's going to be a top five player from this class, no question. If he busts and he can't stay healthy, then it's just going to be another one of those uh, situations for the Jets where it just you know they swung high and they they didn't quite get there. And considering Thibodeau is kind of one of those high risk, high reward players too. I'm going to go with Kyle Hamilton here. I think that they could use that injection of talent in the secondary. And he is definitely worthy of a top 10 pick, even as a safety. Um, And he's, I think definitely more of a safer pick where, you know, he's going to be good and he's going to be able to contribute right away. I'm going to make my pick short, sweet, and to the point. Everyone do me a favor and rewind about 30 seconds to when Dave started talking about Derek Stingley. That's why I have the Washington Commanders taking, because honestly, I was between the same two players as you, man. So whichever you didn't pick, that was that's who's going to Washington, because Washington also needs help in that secondary. And if you're Washington, I'm cool with um, boomer bust talent because you need to do so, you need to swing for the fences if you're Washington. And clearly they're cool with doing it because they're bringing on Carson Wentz, who's the most like boomer bust quarterback that I can think of right now. So there you go. They'll take the risk on Derek Stingley. If I if I was the Vikings, which I am in this scenario, I would be devastated at the fact that I did not get either Stingley or Gardner because I think corner is their top need. And those are the top two corners. So I think also something crazy that's that I just noticed. We haven't picked a receiver yet. And there are a lot of great receivers. I can't say in the actual draft that no receivers will go in the top 10. I think that would be pretty crazy, but you never know. But I think for the Vikings, I mean, receiver isn't really a need. Justin Jefferson is amazing. Adam Thielen, while he he was hurt for some of last year, he's still productive. KJ Osborne came out of nowhere to actually be decent for them. They're getting Irv Smith back at tight end, which I'm excited about too. So I really don't think that they would go receiver, even though they have the pick of them here. So right now I'm kind of thinking about going with another corner. And I think the ne- the next best corner available is Trent McDuffie out of Washington. I think it, they really do need to draft a corner here and they are going to. They're really going to hope that either Stingley or, or Gardner is going to be there. But since they weren't, they'll just pick up uh, another guy. 
uh, Trent McDuffie, you know, Washington's been uh, a factory of cornerback prospects making it to the NFL and, and doing well. So I, I don't, I don't think you'll see anything different here with McDuffie. It's not the ideal situation for, for the Vikings, but I think they, they have to take that position in the first round. All right. So that brings us to the 13th pick with the Houston Texans. So 10 picks ago, I went ahead and grabbed Trayvon Walker. You know what, man? You're right. We can't keep ignoring the receivers, right? Eventually, these gonna these guys are going to start flying off the board probably earlier than we have them. But I'll go ahead and take the first one in Houston, Garrett Wilson. Let's get an explosive playmaker there. Let's get a guy that they can start developing, you know, that their future quarterback will inherit. Let's call it what it is. But we get a big explosive player on defense, and then we get a playmaker on offense. So we'll go Garrett Wilson there. Okay, I'm going to continue the run at receiver here. I've got the Baltimore Ravens. Marquise Brown had a decent season last year. Of course, Mark Andrews went off, but I think they could use another reliable weapon in that receiver room. And we already know the Ravens love those Alabama players. So even though he's he's hurt right now, I think if he wasn't hurt, he would be in contention, if not the first receiver off the board. And that's Jamison Williams. All right, so that brings us to number 15 with the Eagles. And let's go ahead and address that Eagles secondary. They struggled um, against the past this past season. We've already lost some corners out there. But I'm going to go for Andrew Booth Jr. out of Clemson. He had a good 2021 season, and he has all the tools necessary to be a good NFL corner. Maybe not immediately, but a couple years, let him develop. And the Eagles... You know, under Jalen Hurts, Devontae Smith, like this is a team that is setting itself up for future success with these good young pieces. And so they'll go ahead and add one to their defense as well this year. All right, now on to the New Orleans Saints. Uh, I was tempted to go with uh, a really terrible prospect here just so they could, you know, just to screw them over a little bit. But no, I will actually just, you know, play my role and. I think for the Saints, there's still a lot of really good receivers available. We don't know about Michael Thomas, what he's going to look like once he returns. Uh, he hasn't played in quite some time. So I think that a receiver could be in play. Maybe uh, maybe a quarterback. I don't know if they really think that Jameis is the answer. But I'm going to go... I'm going to go with Chris Olave for them. Mostly because... Ohio State to New Orleans, I mean, a team that I dislike in college, going to a team that I dislike in the NFL, I think it makes a lot of sense. But also, Chris Olave, along with Garrett Wilson, you know, that pairing was dominant for Ohio State last year for C.J. Stroud in that offense. And so I think, you know, Olave, he's a guy that I think this, the Saints would really like. They really like route runners. Um you know, and he'll be able to stretch the field a little bit too for them. So, uh, yeah, Crystal Lobby is going to go to the Saints at number 16. All right. At number 17, we got the Los Angeles Chargers. We're, we've got a uh, generational talent at quarterback in Justin Herbert. Let's protect him with Kenyon Green from Texas A&M. This is a guy that can play as an interior or exterior lineman for a Chargers team that needs some added help 
on the offensive line to protect Justin Herbert to help set up that pass game and run game for that matter. Shoot. Like I think like help him out, help out Austin Eckler. You got strong weapons back there. Give them the protection they deserve. Kenyon Green out of AM. He already has experience blocking elite defenders in the SEC. I think he'll be just fine in the pros. All right. And that takes us to the Philadelphia Eagles at number 18. Uh, Mike gave them Andrew Booth earlier at number 15. And if this guy is still available at number 18 in the actual draft, they're going to be falling out of their chairs trying to run to the podium. <laughs> Drake London out of USC is a receiver that would make all the difference for that offense. I really think that. I mean, pairing him with Devontae Smith, with Dallas Goddard, um, Drake London is just a different type of, of player than, than Devontae Smith is. You know, Devontae Smith, he's a route runner, silky smooth, uh, possession receiver. Drake London, you just throw, him, throw it up to him in the end zone. Former basketball player. He hasn't actually been playing football for that long. He's a guy who I, who I see who has a lot of upside. He's coming off of an injury, but I think the Eagles could really use him and would be a, um, a, a great fit in this offense. I think they would be extremely excited if Drake London was here in, uh, in the actual draft. What's really cool is before I selected Andrew Booth, I was actually thinking, like, should I just go ahead and grab Drake London? So it works out. The Eagles get both of them. Now, when you were picking for the Saints, so this is cool how we get to like compliment each other's picks now, you were like, I don't know what they think about Jameis Winston or if they think that he's the answer. I don't. Let's uh let's go ahead and get the answer for the future. And there's a couple quarterbacks to choose from, but I think it's got to be Matt Coral out of Ole Miss. Uh, remember that this was a, a Heisman watch type of player early in the season. And we talked about uh, the significance of that game against Alabama. Um, geez, that feels like forever ago now. <laughs> but I think Matt Coral, in the right culture, in the right environment, does have the tools necessary to become a good, if not great, NFL quarterback. This will help them move on from, you know, they're transitioning now from the Drew Brees era, the Sean Payton era. And while we both hate the Saints, it's not like New Orleans is a toxic environment like a New York or anything where we would expect a quarterback to go and just be like mercilessly like attacked and not given the the support needed to thrive. I think this is a great fit for Matt Coral and for the Saints. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think, you know, you could go with him. You could go with Kenny Pickett. Now we're at number 20, Pittsburgh Steelers. Speaking of Kenny Pickett, I'm tempted by him here for sure. I mean, he literally quarterbacked the University of Pittsburgh. <laughs> that he doesn't really have to travel very far. But I'm kind of torn between him and another guy who hasn't gotten mentioned yet, Trevor Penning, tackle out of Northern Iowa. I mean, right now the Steelers, they need offensive line help uh, for sure. Their offensive line used to be a, a big, big strength of theirs, and now it's the opposite. Uh, right now, Dan Moore Jr. is slated as their starting left tackle. I did not know who that was. I'd be surprised if any of you listening knew who that was, unless you're a Steelers fan. So I'm very tempted by that. But just because quarterbacks are always going to be 
taken higher. I think I've got to go with Kenny Pickett on this one. It just makes too much sense. The quarterback from Pitt going to Pittsburgh, they obviously need the next guy after Big Ben retired. I don't know if Mitch Trubisky is that guy. And Kenny Pickett would probably be the most pro-ready quarterback prospect in the draft and I think would be able to to start week one and Mitch Trubisky could give him a good battle in camp and be a good backup for them. But I think Pickett is the move for, for this selection at number 20. On episode 26, when we were recapping our NFL tier list, we talked about Jacoby Myers leading their team in receiving yards. That's a bit of a yellow flag for me. And I think, you know, Mac Jones proved that he's good enough to be the guy, at least for the next few years. Like, I'm not saying you have to commit your next two decades to him, but there's no reason to, like, give up at quarterback right now. So, to me, the next step for them should be to go ahead and give him a weapon at receiver. And I'm looking at Traylon Burks from Arkansas. Uh, I think his uh, he kind of let down at the combine. He's, he seems faster on the field than he did when he did his 40. But this is a guy that go, can go up, make contested catches, not not quite as well as Drake London. My goodness. But this is a guy that can be a very good, reliable weapon for Mac Jones, especially like to get him out of some tight situations. So I want to go ahead and get our New England quarterback, his buddy for the future. Okay, I think that's an interesting pick, especially because the Patriots just picked up Devontae Parker. So I think that, you know, that receiver room has definitely gotten a big boost if we're adding Burks to that equation. And I know that the Green Bay Packers would be absolutely livid if by this point all these receivers have been taken off the board. A lot of people are thinking the Packers are going to go with the receiver. Finally, it's been like 20 years or something since they've drafted a receiver in the first round. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Right now, I mean, they signed um, they signed Sammy Watkins. And I guess he's their number one receiver right now. It's him, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb. That's not, I mean, maybe like a few years ago, that would have been a pretty good receiver room, but not anymore. But you know what? I don't think that the Packers are going to pick up a receiver in the first round. I think that they're just going to be like, you know what? We're going to do whatever we want to do because we're the Packers and we don't do things the normal way. So instead they're going to pick up George Karloftis defensive end out of Purdue. They part ways with Zadarius Smith, but they still need some help with their pass rush. Karloftis is, is their kind of player. And, uh, you know, he can play both outside linebacker and uh, defensive end. So he'll fit into their defensive scheme there. And I just think that the Packers are going to be like, screw all of you. We're going to go with these guys. Um, I mean, they probably won't actually draft a receiver on, unless Aaron Rodgers really likes him anyway. So that's what I'm going to go with. Yeah, when you first mentioned the Packers and their need for like a receiver and potentially draft one in the first round, I was just like, what are they going to do? What Aaron Rodgers wants? Nah. Think again. We've arrived at the Arizona Cardinals. They just let Chandler Jones walk. They let Jordan Hicks walk. So now I'm seeing a hole there in terms of their pass rush. And got a couple options here. 
I'm going to go ahead and grab someone that I'd be, that I would be kind of surprised to see available at 23, and that's Devontae Wyatt out of UGA. Little streaky, but the upside is there. Once he gets going, he is a hard man to block. And when you're looking at like losing Chandler Jones, I think that you've got to look for that sort of like potential dynamism that uh, that Wyatt can really provide there. And I mean, if you're the Cardinals and the way you sputtered out last season, you got to do something, man. Well, I think we're just going to have back-to-back defensive tackles from Georgia because with number 24, the Dallas Cowboys are going to be extremely excited to see that Jordan Davis, the man, the myth, the legend himself, is still somehow available at number 24. They're going to rush up to the podium and draft him. I mean, this is a guy with otherworldly physical ability, a guy who really the sky is the limit for. Uh, He's not necessarily going to play uh, every down right away in the NFL. He's going to need to make sure that uh, he's, he sticks at his current weight. Uh, But I think the Cowboys, you know, they had a, obviously a very, very good defense last year, better than anyone expected. And they just continue to build upon that with Jordan Davis, um, who is definitely one of the most physically gifted players in this class and really improves that Cowboys defensive line. At number 25, we have the Buffalo Bills. Now, I'm going to read you a list of linebackers from the Buffalo Bills. Matt Milano. I'm done. That That is the only linebacker that they have on contract beyond next season. And that includes Tremaine Edmonds. And so, yeah, you know, re-sign some of them, by all means. Shop free agency, but draft one. And... I can't think of a better linebacker to draft at this point than our third UGA Bulldog in a row. What? Nicobe Dean. We saw him on that dominant, historically dominant UGA defense all year, and that did not go away in crunch time. It almost got better. Uh, A guy that shines when the lights are brightest on a team in Buffalo that's like up there with all the contending teams. This is a team that we thought this past season and we'll probably expect next season to be making Super Bowl pushes. Nicobe Dean is going to give you production right away. And just looking at the future, this seems to make all the sense in the world to me. Yeah, I think that does make sense. And Nicobe Dean is one of those players that I think fits that Bills culture as well. I think they'll really embrace him there in Buffalo. Moving on to number 26, the Tennessee Titans. This guy really stood out at the Senior Bowl. Uh, His stock has risen tremendously. i got to go with Zion Johnson out of Boston College, offensive lineman. Uh, He's mostly played guard, but he's taken some snaps at center as well. And I think the Titans already have a pretty good offensive line, but this just kind of builds upon that strength. You know, when you have Derrick Henry... You need guys who are going to be really good run blockers, and that's exactly what Zion Johnson is, uh, as well as you know protecting Ryan Tannehill. So, yeah, I, I think the, the Titans get a value pick here with Zion Johnson. He's a really good player. At 27, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they, uh, they just lost Alex Kappa, and so I'm looking at a need for a new offensive guard. And this is a player that, honestly, I'm not super, super sold on. But he has 
good athleticism for a guard. I think that he has the potential to fill that that opening there um, in Tampa. So I'm going to go Tyler Smith out of Tulsa. And this is a bit of a high-risk, high-reward pick at as far as like 27 goes. But I think Tampa Bay is also positioned to make that kind of gamble uh, where they're not so reliant on one pick, you know, being a slam dunk. So this seems like a good fit for Tyler Smith there. AKA you wish Zion Johnson was available, but he wasn't. So uh-huh. you had to get Tyler Smith. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm up to the podium for the Packers again. And remember when I said they weren't going to draft a receiver in the first round and I went defensive end, they are actually going to draft a receiver in the first round. I have them going with Christian Watson, uh, out of North Dakota state. I think he's just going to step in and take that Marquez Valdez Scantling role of running in a straight line and expanding the field, uh, able to catch the deep balls from Aaron Rodgers. Still a little raw. Uh, I mean, he's coming out of North Dakota State, so it makes sense. But uh, he's got great physical tools, great straight line speed, and working with Aaron Rodgers will make him better. So I do think that they'll go uh, receiver in the first round, just not with their first pick, just to kind of do another little dig at, at Aaron Rodgers and be like, just so you know, you don't control us, but then he still gets his first round receiver. Bend, but don't break. Show him who's in charge. It's like the ultimate, like, I'm doing this because I want to, not because you told me to. So interestingly enough, the next two picks are the Kansas City Chiefs. So I get one, you get one. Let's see how we pair. Chiefs lost a handful of good players uh, this offseason. Tyreek Hill, of course. But also Tyron Matthew at safety. And that's the need that I want to address first. You already know where I'm going. My guy out of Michigan, Daxon Hill. You got to pick a Florida State player. I got to pick a Michigan player. Not only does he fill the, fulfill the obvious need, this Daxon Hill I've seen like towards the bottom of the first round, top of the second. That's usually been the area where he's floating. So 29 isn't exactly a reach, but I feel like talent-wise, he is a like in that 25 to 35 range. So this feels like good both in terms of talent and in terms of uh, addressing a need for the Kansas City Chiefs, here he'll be in a good position. But also he has the tools to come down and help in the box, also play coverage. Uh, he needs a little help with discipline. Uh, he he tends to overcommit to the short game just a little bit. But, I mean, look at the coaching staff there in Kansas City. That'll, they'll coach him right on out of that. So I like this fit both for the player and the team. For sure. That's definitely a guy who I was looking at as well. Um, not that you necessarily stole it because there are other guys that, and, and we're drafting for the same team. So it doesn't make sense, but you addressed um, the secondary. I'm going to address the front seven and go with a guy who has a lot of talent and a, a position that I see a lot of need. And that's middle linebacker. They're going to pick up Devin Lloyd out of Utah. Uh, I think, him and Nicobe Dean are by far the two best inside linebackers in the class. Uh, Lloyd is another guy who didn't have a great combine, especially in the 40. But I mean, at Utah, he showed that he can uh, impact the game in all sorts of ways. He can rush the passer. 
Uh, he can cover, he can stop the run. Um, so a really versatile player that you can just put in that middle of that defense and he'll be able to, to help in a lot of different ways. I don't know if the chiefs will actually go defense defense here with his back-to-back picks, but the way I see it, they, they signed, uh, Valdez Scantling, they signed Juju. They still have Josh Gordon. Maybe they expect him to to be better and more involved next season. And of course, Travis Kelsey as well. So maybe the, maybe they're they're happy with that and they they surprise and go with two uh, really really good defensive players here. I mean, if you have the ultimate weapon in Patrick Mahomes, freaking may as well address the defense. Like Mahomes is going to do Mahomes things. Juju, while certainly a downgrade from. Tyreek Hill is a good, like, if you have to pick up a receiver in the, in free agency, that's not a bad one to pick up. All right, so we each have one pick left. For me, that's for the Super Bowl runners-up, Cincinnati Bengals. It's the bottom of the first round. Take a guy with upside. You mentioned Washington as being a factory for these corners, right? So you got Trent McDuffie. I'll take Kyler Gordon. Super athletic. The way he attacks balls in the air is almost more like a receiver than a corner at times, which is just fun to watch. But he, like Dax Hill, can come help in run support as well. He's not shy about making tackles as a corner. And I think a corner that can help in the run game as well as make those like big plays with the ball in the air is a big piece that uh, Cincinnati could really be using, uh, based on what we saw like in the Super Bowl last, uh, this past season. So they'll go ahead and take the other Washington corner here. Okay. Yeah. I think that makes sense. And I get to pick for the lions again, uh, to close out this first round and this mock draft. There are two guys who I'm looking at here. Number one, I'm looking at Jahan Dotson out of Penn state. Uh, obviously Amon Ross St. Brown had a very, very good rookie season for them and looks to be a cornerstone of that offense for years to come, but he needs help. Uh, and Dotson could be a guy where, uh, St. Brown could work out of the slot. Dotson can work on the outside and that would, uh, really help Jared Goff or maybe they go quarterback. We've seen this plenty of times where at the back of the first round, you get that extra, uh, fifth year option for first round prospects. Maybe the Lions go for probably the best quarterback available, Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati. To compete with Jared Goff, maybe he doesn't need to play right away. Um, and they get that extra uh, fifth year if they want to, if Ritter ends up being a, a solid quarterback uh, for them. So I'm going to go with Ritter. I think the Lions know that Jared Goff. He's their guy for now, but he's not going to be the guy forever. Ritter, he'll, you know, as I was saying before, he'll have some time to sit on the bench and learn, but I think he has a lot of talent. I think he got a little bit exposed when he was playing Alabama, the step up in competition and the fact that Alabama is throwing a lot of different um, defensive coverages at him really confused him and he threw a, a, you know, a few costly picks. That's going to be able to, Uh, He's going to be able to sit behind Jared Goff and learn um, and take his time kind of adjusting to the NFL and being a little better at reading coverages and getting kind of used to the speed of the game. But he's got a lot of tools. I mean, he ran a great 40. Uh, We know he's mobile. He can throw on the run. Um, He's a veteran. I mean, 
he started for Cincinnati and holds all their records pretty much for quarterbacks. So we already know that, that he's going to be able to be at least a decent backup in the NFL, I would imagine. But uh, obviously they're going to be looking for a lot more from him um, with this first round pick. But getting that fifth year option is going to be a really big deal. And I think that that's where the Lions will go and they'll be happy that, that he's available at the number 32 spot. Hailing from Michigan, I do like that last pick, the thought of them having a quarterback for the future while still not putting the pressure on them to start year one. Goodness, I've talked about that before. So that concludes our first round mock, which we will post on social media, at on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave Pod. Before we wrap up the segment, though, I'm sure we both have a couple players in mind that didn't get picked up but are worth a mention. And I really just have two. Um, and then, Dave, I'll let you go ahead and uh, talk about whatever players you want to talk about. And David Ajabo uh, out of Michigan. And this isn't about my bias. I mean, if I didn't mention him, Dave would. It's just really unfortunate. Tore his Achilles on pro day, and he would have been undeniably a first round pick. Um, Aiden Hutchinson is fantastic, but remember that Michigan had that dynamic duo of um, Hutchinson and Ojabo. Ojabo had 11 sacks this season as well. So like great athleticism, high motor, uh, just attacks the quarterback. Um, but because of that torn Achilles, he's going to fall probably into the second round and uh, neither of us picked him up, but um, I think, especially for one of these teams with two picks, like I wouldn't be surprised to see one of those teams grab him for the future because he has all the potential. If he can come back from that injury, he'll be a steal in this draft. Uh, while you did mention him, he didn't end up getting picked, so I just wanted to give one extra shout to Trevor Penning, um, offensive lineman out of northern Iowa. Um, a lot of mocks are putting him around like – middle-ish like maybe around 20 or so on the first round we didn't pick him but i wouldn't be shocked to see him go first round on on draft night um a solid offensive lineman it just didn't end up in the cards for us tonight yeah for sure those were two guys who i who i considered uh, a couple of times um also tyler linderbaum out of iowa definitely the best center in the draft i think that it just didn't quite work out with a couple of the teams that he would have worked out for. Um, but definitely a first round talent. And if he did get out of the uh, first round, then I'm sure a team would snap him up at the beginning of the, of the second round. Cause he is a very, very good player. And you know, there are a couple of other good safeties in the draft, you know, Lewis scene, uh, Jalen Petre and Jaquan Brisker. These are all, there's three really good safeties as well. Um, th- that, really make up this a, a very deep and strong safety class actually. Um, so shout out to them. And then also receiver who didn't quite make in the first round, but has a lot of potential sky more. Um, this is a guy who is extremely quick. Um, one of those super shifty players who will break a lot of tackles. You know, he's a guy who actually has, I believe he has the biggest hands out of any receiver in the draft this year, even though he's only 5'10", 195. So uh, he can make a lot of plays after the catch. So I definitely like him as a prospect. I considered him instead of Christian Watson for the uh, for the Packers, but uh, I went with Watson, but 
I think Moore could uh, is also a first round talent. But yeah, that wraps up our mock draft. Um, thanks for sticking with us through that. Uh, if we you know picked for your favorite team and you liked who we picked or you didn't like who we picked, let us know on social media at Mike and Dave Pod. Uh, we'd we'd love to hear it. Well, m- maybe we wouldn't love to hear your criticisms, but I mean, come at me. Why not? But anyways, so yeah, so that wraps up the segment. And when we come back, we'll do the hot seat and the fun fact. All right. So it's time to get into the hot seat for the first time in a little while. We've got multiple recipients. Always a fun time, but we're going to put them all under the like umbrella like category of trolling, basically. So Dave, go ahead and give us the first of our three, <laughs> not one not two, but three hot seat recipients. All right. So the Orioles don't make a lot of headlines or have a lot of reasons to be trolling anyone else, but they had an opportunity to troll Yankees fans after winning five to nothing. The Orioles tweeted a series L and no Lakers in the playoffs. Tough weekend to be a Yankees fan, which I absolutely loved just in case you didn't get it. The same people who would be Lakers fans would also be Yankees fans because they're just bandwagoners who are the worst types of people. So shout out to the Orioles. I just love it when teams that like aren't that good just take advantage of the of the few times that they can actually be savage. Uh, so you know, shout out to shout out to whoever tweeted that because that that had me going for a little bit. And and this brings up an important like clarification for the hot seat on episode 27 and we've been doing this the whole time but just because someone is on the hot seat doesn't mean we disapprove necessarily sometimes it's just funny and that's the case for that one a very versatile segment the hot seat is it's whatever we want it to be <laughs> this is our podcast exactly we're mike and dave damn it we do what we want yeah. which apparently so does espn when the Braves were playing the Padres the other day, Andy Swanson was up to bat. And they put this stat out there on national television. Dansby Swanson, first player since 1913 to strike out in each of first 10 games in three straight seasons. Now, I feel like if you follow like Sports Center, ESPN, whatever, or even like watch a game, you're going to see these like random stats where it's just like, Whose job is it to find these statistics like this is only the third time that LeBron James has scored 41 points within 71 hours of eating six tacos? Like there's, you know, these dumb stats like that. But anyway, this one just seems so unnecessarily ruthless that it's like, why? Why are you trying to bring Dansby Swanson down? Is it because the Braves won the World Series? You got to like find some like shade to throw like and it's espn like it, it'd be different i think if if the padres like network or twitter or whatever posted it it's like oh you're just like ribbing or whatever but like espn chill out well i think it's common knowledge that espn hates atlanta sports uh and the braves are no different uh, moving on to our final recipient we move over to basketball where in an interview bruce brown had this to say about the Celtics. They don't have Robert Williams, so they have less of a presence in the paint, and we could attack Al Horford and Tice. So them not having Robert Williams is huge. So of course, this was blown out of proportion. And 
KD ended up going back after the fact and being like, oh, Bruce was just, you know, being Bruce, but we, you know, we respect our opponents, blah, 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 whatever. Because KD knows we don't need to give the Celtics any more ammo and any more more fuel to get, you know, pissed off and, and play angry against uh, against the Nets. So, of course, the people at TD Garden take this extremely seriously. And before game one of the series between the Celtics and the Nets, they post on the Jumbotron a picture of Bruce Brown in like gray and uh, like grayed out with the quote, uh, you know, kind of dissing Al Horford and, and Tice on it just to show, you know, just to show that they, they were listening they didn't forget about it. And then, of course, what happens? The Celtics ended up beating the Nets in game one on Jason Tatum's uh, last second layup. So adding insult to injury for sure with that one. Absolutely. It's great that the Celtics were able to go ahead and win that game just to like back that up. Now, to depart from the hot seat, but stick with the Celtics for a second. If you're a longtime fan of the podcast long time we've been doing this for like a year but if you're a fan of the podcast then you might be familiar with a segment we've done from time to time that's disrespectful i want to go the opposite route for just a second because you know it's not as much fun to be respectful is it but that's respectful huh that's a new one marcus smart who i don't like great start to respectful but marcus smart has been named defensive player of the year for this season. And I'm so glad this is so good for basketball. This is the first time that a guard has won defensive player of the year since Gary Payton back in 1996. And if you look at like the defensive player of the year award, it had really become like a, not exclusively, like big man award, but like just going back, Rudy Gobert won it three of the last four years, interrupted only by Giannis, who's basically a big man. Uh, then you have like Draymond. And then other than like Kawhi, it's been big men for the past like 20-ish years. And in fact, I was actually just having a conversation the other day where I was saying like, it's sad because like, perimeter defense has become like underappreciated because defensive player of the year is going to like favor rim protectors and like defensive rebounders and everything. And it's not going to give love to a lot of the good perimeter defenders in the NBA. I think about the fact that Tony Allen never won defensive player of the year, which is an abomination. But I think this just like really opens up a big door for, you know, players like you know how much I love Matisse Thibel. Now I feel like optimistic that he can win Defensive Player of the Year in the future. So shout out to the NBA and the voters for actually putting this award back in the hands of a guard for a change. Shout out to Marcus Smart for for not giving up the energy on that side of the ball, even though, even in an era where we like love offense, right? It's good to know that defense is still appreciated and that we're seeing it from a guard, even if it's not one that I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, I mean, I wish it was a guy other than Smart and not to diminish his accomplishment, but the Celtics really dominated as a team defensively. And I guess Marcus Smart was the best out of the bunch. So you could kind of argue like with the whole 
MVP uh, argument that we started with at the beginning of the podcast, you know, maybe Marcus Smart was a, like helped by the fact that he had a lot of good defensive players around him and the, the scheme that uh, they implemented in the second half of the season worked so well. But I do agree with what you're saying. It is good that a guard managed to win it. And, you know, hopefully that it does reward, uh, you know, th- those two-way players in the future who uh, stand out on the defensive end and aren't a rim protector like Gobert. I certainly hope so. The last thing I'd want is for this to just be a sort of like feel good, like, okay, well, we did it. And in another 25 years or so, we'll do it again. Everyone else, everyone just shut up for, for a couple of decades. Like, let me see some consistency here. But with that being said, it's time to move on to our final segment of the episode, Dave's Fun Fact, where we get to learn something about something. I have no idea what. Dave, let us know what we're learning about. All right. Well, hopefully this segment doesn't put you to sleep because we're talking about snoring this episode. Fun fact, about twice as many men snore than women. Now you might be wondering, huh, that's kind of weird. Why is that? Well, let me tell you. Let me at least try to explain this. So, snoring is sometimes caused by an obstruction of the nose or by excessive growth of adenoid tissue, I believe that's how it's pronounced. That's part of it. But then also, when language evolved, because obviously back in the day, like humans didn't really speak as much as they do now, as language evolved, our voice boxes had to drop lower in the neck, creating a space behind the tongue called the oropharynx. Maybe that's how you say that. So something I never thought about is the tongue, like our other muscles, relax or relaxes while we're sleeping. And then when it does that, it can fall into that space that was previously where our voice box was. And so there's like this empty space there. And then that can obstruct our breathing and cause snoring, especially when we're lying on our back. And the space is larger in men than it is in women which explains why men tend to snore while women end up waking up. And the result is, of course, that us men stay asleep and just keep on snoring away while the lucky women in our lives get to wake up and just have to listen to it the whole night. So, you know, apologies on behalf of all men. It's not our fault. It's genetics. It's anatomy. It's anatomical. We can't control that. If you're ever, you know, having trouble snoring or whatever, a lot, a large portion of that might be because you're lying on your back because your tongue is going into that space as it relaxes and it and starts obstructing your breathing. So that's my fun fact for this week. For the last like minute or so that you were talking, I was just like moving my tongue around inside my mouth. Like, where's that space at? I don't want to like locate that, but it's like, can I make myself? Snore? Probably not, but I'm not going to apologize for snoring and waking the uh, woman in my life up because a <laughs> I don't snore man and b ain't nobody to wake up man I, w- I was about to say I'm gonna take this time to apologize to absolutely nobody uh, that's that's the I only mean, thing that Conor McGregor is really good for is that that one quote that I 
enjoy saying. But I do want, because you, you mentioned that, I do want to say there is, it's definitely not related at all that this, that I, you know, I came up with this fun fact because I definitely don't snore either <clears throat> at all. So not an issue for me. <laughs> Just wanted to point that out. Clarification, you know. <laughs> we need y'all to know that about us. We, we want you to know that we know sports and we don't snore. It's, it's Mike and Dave. But that's going to about wrap up this episode of the Mike and Dave podcast. A uh, couple things for social media. Off the top, we started talking about, you know, what goes into the, or what should go into the MVP discussion. And we'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Uh, what, what do you value the most when you're looking at MVP races? Also, we'll post our mock draft on social. Let us know your thoughts. What do we, what do you agree with? What do you disagree with? Um, Dave said, come at us earlier. Yeah, we'll rise to the challenge. Why not? And let us know some of your predictions for that. For sure. And while you're at it, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to us on whatever platform uh, you listen to us on and leave us a five-star rating or review if you're feeling kind, which you should be because we should, let's just all be kind to each other. And that includes being kind to us. Uh, but yeah, we appreciate you listening as always and hope you enjoyed this mock draft. The next episode will be uh, recapping the draft, uh, you know, probably doing some superlatives, things like that, you know, looking at what the Falcons did, et cetera, et cetera. So definitely uh, stick around for that one. Yeah, the NFL draft will be, by the time this podcast comes out, next Thursday. That's April 28th. And then our next episode will uh, hit the airwaves May 6th. So keep your mock draft handy and we'll be responding to the draft that following episode, like you said. But until that time, this has been Mike. And this has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast.